So you should have your handouts there. We'll go through. I'll give you the outline and some things tonight, and that will be, and then we'll get the, through the thing tonight. See, it's kind of different setup, and I had, I had a few people, I forget who it was, was talking to me a couple weeks ago. It's interesting, sometimes you talk to a lot of people, you forget who you talk to and who you say certain things to. I ask people, did I say this to you? No, you must, I said someone else. I can't remember who I said it to, and uh, I'm only 34. Imagine what's going to happen the older I get. It's only going to get worse. Or I could be like John O'Donnell and go to the store and be ordering chicken legs. One of the funniest stories I've ever heard. If you want a good story, you should ask John. And so, great story. And um, say, so what am I talking about? You'll have to wait and see. And uh, we see it could be called the second book of David, really was what Chronicles is, First Chronicles. And it repeats some of the same contents we mentioned that's found in Samuel and in Kings and it's the last, it's technically the last book in the Jewish Bible because it summarizes all the things that happened. As it went through, the first word is Adam. That it ends with Israel's return from exile. The book was written around 500 B.C. after Israel returned from Babylon. And in future books as we get through, we're going to study more things out and all that. But what I want you to know is 1 Chronicles is all about, and 2 Chronicles, all about the southern kingdom. You know how we split up? You know how Jeroboam had the northern kingdom, Rehoboam, southern kingdom? Everything stays here in the southern kingdom because it's showing David's line and that promise from God that we see. And First Chronicles was written from that perspective. A lot of people don't, no one knows who wrote the book. A lot of people have guessed. Jewish tradition says that Ezra was the author of it. Do we trust Jewish tradition? No, we do not. Does it really matter at the end of the day? Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So though we might not know the human pen that God used, we know that the scriptures came from God. And what a blessing that is to know in our lives. And when we break down the book, it is a very simple book to break down. I've been giving you very simple outlines. 29 chapters of Bible, two points in an outline. Say, Pastor, you preached a three-point outline today on two verses. I know. But this is just a brief overview. Number one, number one, genealogies. Genealogies from chapter one through chapter number nine. Why are genealogies important? There are several reasons to why they're important. The first would be the history, history behind them. Israel is coming back into their country after being in exile for many generations. And this gives them their country's history. Let's them see where they came from. Not only does it give them history, the genealogies, but another important part of it is the validity that it gives. It set this up as a history book with true facts. Not some philosophy book with good ideas, but the truth about things. Satan will always do his best to get God's people to doubt the word of God. They'll do, Satan will do his very best to get us to doubt that Jesus Christ is who he is. No, Jesus was God. The Bible's true. There is no way to cast doubt upon it. And there have been men throughout history that say, well, we never, you, you can see it every once in a while on the news or something. They find some ancient discovery in the Middle East. And for a long time, we don't even know if David really lived. The city of David, and you talk about these different things, and they'll find something. And oh, here's something about David. Or Pontius Pilate. It's one of the ones that they say, there's no historical proof that Pontius Pilate ever lived. What is the, maybe, maybe the Bible's wrong. And a few years ago, they found a coin. And do you know whose face was on that coin? 
Pontius Pilate, the Bible is always right. The history that it gives is true history. The science that the Bible gives is true science. And if men can doubt it all they want, the Bible's always right. George Washington lived just a couple hundred years ago. And they thought by draining the blood out of his body, they could heal the diseases that were inside of him. They didn't know that the Bible said over 2,000 years ago, even longer, almost 4,000, 5,000, the life of the flesh is in the blood. We never, we never catch up. The Bible's always right. And the validity here, and this is, we see Israel's the beginning. We see how it all comes together, the history behind it. We also see why is it important, not only for the history and the validity, but let us see for the prophecy. The theme of 1 Chronicles that I mentioned is the past events give us hope <coughs> for the future. And these past records show that God made a promise. He made a promise to Abraham to preserve Israel, to raise up David. He promised David that his kingdom would last forever. And we see how that goes through. And all these genealogies point to the fact that there's going to be a coming Messiah someday. And how wonderful that is. We see the outlines very simple. Genealogies and then number two, stories about David. Stories about David. Almost exclusively we see the good of David. Again, pointing to the Messiah. We don't see anything about Bathsheba or some of the other family tragedies that 2 Samuel ended with. Think of some of the tragedies in David's life. When he's on the run from Saul and he goes to the Philistines and he acts like a madman. Or Bathsheba, as we mentioned. How about when his uh, son raped and did nothing about it? Absalom rises to power. David's on the run again. David numbers the people. There's so much that we could see there and that we look at David and be like, but there's also something else that I like to point out in this. <coughs> I also believe, and it's very interesting, I believe that this is how God sees David, too. You know, if God looked real close at us, he could see everything bad about us. But he looks at us, and what does he see? He sees the righteousness of his son. He sees the good. That's the God that we serve. That's who he is. And these stories about David, we see stories about David's mighty men. We see stories about David bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. There are several chapters in here that aren't covered in 2 Samuel that go into greater detail about the preparation for the temple and all that David did to prepare for it and all that happened there. And it teaches us that God is at work before we even realize it. Let me just give you this as well. Do you know this book also teaches us that the past events don't have to destine you to failure? David made some terrible choices in his life with Bathsheba. Terrible choices. But who did God raise up to be king after David? Solomon. Solomon. Who was Solomon's mother? Bathsheba. Just because you make bad choices doesn't mean you're destined to fail. God can show mercy, God can show grace, and God can still work 
in the midst of all of those things. We see Solomon ascends to the throne and the book ends with the death of David. And you say, well, there's not much to all of that. There's lots you can read through about the life of David. Lots of the genealogies. But I want to give you some application when it comes to 1 Chronicles tonight. And I also want to show you something. One of, one of our favorite hymns that we sing was written by a man who was reading in 1 Chronicles. That's where the song came from. I'll tell you about that here in just a minute. Well, let me give you a few things under application. With God, events of the past should bring hope for the future. I want you to go with me for a minute to Second, I mean, First Chronicles chapter number seventeen. First Chronicles chapter seventeen. First Chronicles seventeen. Um, we can see David's covenants found in Second Samuel's chapter number seven. But look at First Chronicles seventeen. And um, look down with me at verse number 7. The Bible says, let's just start reading verse number 1. Now it came to pass as David sat in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, Ryan, do you see how easy it is to read through First Chronicles? But the ark of the, he said, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. Then Nathan said unto David, Do all as in thine heart, for God is with thee. It came to pass the same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell David my servant, thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me an house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the days I was brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wherefore I have walked with all Israel. Spake I a word to any of the judges of Israel, who I commanded to feed my people, saying, Why have ye not built me an house of cedars? Now therefore, thus shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepscot, even from following the sheep, that thou shouldst be ruler over my people Israel. Some of David's past events and some things to remember tonight as we round the finish line here was something that David, that he could look back on was God's promotion in his life. God took him from being a shepherd boy to be ruler over Israel. And sometimes the hard things that we go through right now prepare us for future usefulness for God. And that's what God was doing with David. And that's one of the things that we see. You look at verse number 8 here. It says, and I have been with thee whithersoever thou hast walked, and have cut off all thine enemies from before thee, and have made thee a name like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Not only do we see God's promotion, but we see God's providence. God knows where we are. He sees it all. And even when you can't see him, he's still working. And we see that evident in the life of David. We look at verse number 9. Also I will ordain a place for my people Israel and will plant them. And they shall dwell in their place and shall be moved no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness waste them any more 
as at the beginning. We see God's plans, number three, in his provision. Even when it seems hopeless, God hasn't forgotten you. And then we look at verse number 10. The Bible says, And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover I will subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build thee in house. And it came to pass when the days be expired that thou must go to be with thy fathers that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me in house and I will establish his throne forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him as it took from him, as I took it from him that was before thee. But I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forevermore. We see the past events, they remind us of God's promotion. God's providence, God's plan and provision, and also God's protection and prosperity. That's what we see here in the book of First Chronicles. We also see, as we've talked about providence or the sovereignty of God in the past, was it God's will that David take Bathsheba to be his wife and to commit adultery with Bathsheba? And have Uriah murdered. Was that God's will? No. David had a free will and David chose to sin. But God was able to take the sin in David's life and bring good out of the situation. Once again, we see how the sovereignty of God works over and over again. <coughs> First Chronicles 17 was the passage of Scripture that um, you look at verse number 16. This verse caught the eye of a man. And it says, look at verse 16. And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? In only England, John Newton was reading that verse and it caught his attention. Newton himself had been a slave trader. Newton lived during a time when people were considered high class if they owned a lot of slaves, but they were considered lower than low class if they traded slaves. After a horrible, vile life at sea, Newton got saved. And after a little bit of time, he, got, he became a pastor. He eventually pastored in London but he famously pastored in the village of Olney First. Interesting that one of his church members' name was William Cooper. Anybody know who William Cooper is? You think of a song, a hymn that he wrote, that we sing? There is a fountain filled with blood. William Cooper wrote that. And he went to John Newton's church. In the last day of 1772, Newton was preparing his sermon for New Year's Day of 1773. And he was thinking about God's goodness and his grace. And he wrote a poem as he meditated on that text. And this was his poem. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound 
that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And until we started singing Amazing Grace with My Chains Are Gone, we would never sing the verse, you remember the Lord has promised good to me? John Newton wrote that verse. It's the lesser known verse of the song. It's not in most of our songbooks. Just like today, that's, uh, that verse on, uh, on Sweet Hour of Prayer. And I cannot figure out in my mind why that wouldn't be there. Or Complete in Thee, another song. There's several different ones. But if you go down to 1 Chronicles chapter 17, go down to verse 26. This is what gave Newton the idea for that verse, which I'll give you in just a second. 1 Chronicles 17, look down at verse 26. It says, And now, Lord... Thou art God, and hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. The words he penned from that verse, The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. And did you know years later, John Newton never wrote the fourth verse that we hold in our songbooks when we've been there 10,000 years? He didn't write it. An anonymous person added that last verse when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. But do you see as you meditate on the past of what God's done in your life, you meditate on God's goodness what happens is you realize who am I that God would take someone like me and do what he's done in my life. That's exactly it. First Chronicles was there because past events remind us of God's grace in our lives and gives us great hope for the future. And that's what First Chronicles is all about. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us and the time that we've had together.